From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. I've, you know, to keep everyone updated on how I'm doing. I've been um, discharged by my speech therapist and my physical therapist, so I just have my wound care nurse that I'm working with, and then once she's discharged, I'll be, I don't know, fully functional, yeah, <laughs> almost, you know. So um, I, I am, I'm going. Now that we have warm weather again, we're in the 80s all this week. I'm going on a. A minimum of 0.6 miles walk, but I'm making it longer every day and all of that just to, you know, get my stamina going again and all that. Very good. So, so that's fun. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't, did you catch there was last week? It was like a musical week for Disney. Did you either? Craig, did you see the, the Disney family sing along? I Yeah, we could, we could. Uh, I want to say it was about half of it. Maybe. Uh-huh. So I kind of tuned in a little bit late because we were watching something else before. But we watched a little bit of it. It was interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was, uh, you know, they, there was some of the stuff. It was clearly wasn't from their home. It was, you know, there was big production kind of things. But, yeah. um, you know, previously recorded. But uh, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah, so no, I we, like Donny Osmond's when with all his grandchildren. Yeah, well, and <laughs> that I was laughing out loud because in, until they said, uh, I don't remember if he said grandkids or if they said grandpa at the end. I was like, it, at first when they all started coming on, it's like you have got to be kidding me. How does Donny Osmond have this many kids this young still? Like, is he just mm-hmm. pumping out babies every every other year and still going? <laughs> and finally, when it, it it was made clear that there were grandkids, I was like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness. I don't know if yeah. I could live in a world where Donny Osmond has, has toddlers still when he's – he's got to be in his close to 70s, if not 70s. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's a little younger than I am. Is so he? He's probably in his 60s. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. No, maybe he's older than I am. Oh no, he is. He's young, sixty-two. So yeah, okay. Oh, he's a year younger than I am. Okay, okay. Still very possible then. But yeah, Yeah. that was cute. I liked. I since I didn't see the beginning, I haven't rewatched it. I I like how they uh, they ended the show with uh, Michael Bublé and um, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, who was the other person singing with him that they cut back and forth to? Oh gosh, I don't remember. I remember Michael Bublé, though. Yeah, and they, they both sang A Dream Is Your Wish, A Dream Is A Wish Your Heart Makes. And I thought that was good. But did mm-hmm. they did they start the show with, like, When You Wish Upon a Star? Because No. No, that was okay. – it was somewhere in the middle. Okay. It was when before – When You Wish Upon a Star, yeah, I, I believe. Like, that would have that been a way that I think would have worked to close out the show. 
And I just looked at yeah. Demi Lovato was his uh, okay co-singer on it. But I thought it was a beautiful way to end the show. But I was like, yeah, when you wish upon a star would have been a good would have been a good closer to all of it. But uh, what I watched, I thought was was entertaining. I thought it was handled a lot better than uh, I don't know if you watched it to the the Broadway Cares presentation with yes, Disney on. I Broadway. was going to bring that up. Okay. Yeah, Disney on Broadway's 25th anniversary concert for Broadway Cares, the COVID-19 Emergency Assistance Fund. Yeah, that was a live stream. I did watch that. Yeah, I, we watched most of that. And it was – there were some moments where I was happy I watched it and then others where I I would have skipped out on. But, I mean, it went – it's for a great cause, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I it, it was nice entertainment. I'm glad that they provided it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I enjoyed it. I still have to go back and sort of rewatch the last hour of that because it's on YouTube now. Yeah. And because uh, something else I'll talk about in a moment um, interfered with it. So um, anyway, so I had it on in the background, but I couldn't really um, lis- listen, you yeah. know, couldn't really listen to it. And the fellow hosting, he was in Frozen, but I'm not too sure what he did because it's funny. I looked him up and it doesn't list Frozen in his um, IMBD mm. and all that. So yeah. I'm not sure what he did. Or he had a hat on that said hashtag Hans or something. So maybe he plays Hans yeah. in the Frozen Broadway show. I don't know. Could be. So anyway. But but um, the, the list for what's coming on Disney Plus in May has been out for a little while. And there's a few things I'm really looking forward to. The Disney True Life Adventures, I've started to um, – watch some of those that are on you know that have been released already but they're going to have in beaver valley mm-hmm. and nature's half acre and then there's a couple of new series i'm looking forward to prop culture yeah. sounds really interesting where you know they're going to talk about the various props that were used in shows and um, movies and all that and, and and even like restoring them and things so that's interesting and then then Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. I guess it's an eight-part series on the making of The Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, and which and, it, that's what <laughs> a lot of people were commenting on, like when when they first announced the list for what's coming in May. It's that it's like, oh, The Mandalorian. They need an eight-part hour-long series at the making of The Mandalorian for an eight-part series that that's long. Like it's kind of yeah. It's but that to me means it's going to be nice and in depth. And I know I just said it's going to be an hour long. I just pulled that out of nowhere. I'm, I doubt it's going to be an hour long, but uh, it's just it, it's still very interesting that that they're uh, they're giving that much that much to it. So I'm excited about it. But I love The Mandalorian. Yeah, I am so. too. Cause- I did too. I loved it. So, um, a couple of documentaries. Well, one's a documentary. One is a classic um, show about Disneyland. Um, the documentary, The Boys, the Sherman Brothers story. It, mm. I think it was on Netflix for a while, but it's going to be coming to Disney Plus. That is really good. Everyone, you should watch that. It is. It, but but it's sad. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's. Uh, it definitely wasn't wasn't easy for them at any point in my opinion but uh it's a great documentary it is it's excellent and then from you know from walt's weekly series disneyland goes to the world's fair and i've seen this many times and it is really good 
Also, I, uh, I now what are you looking forward to in May? I, I mean, I know there's a couple, you know, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and Bride of Boogity. I know are probably yeah. on your list. Oh no, you knew <laughs> that uh, Bride of Boogity was going to make my list. I was so happy when when I, I saw that pop up there because I. Bride of Boogity was never aired during uh, Treasures from the Disney Vault or anything, only Mr. Boogity. And I really don't remember that much of Bride of Boogity. I've watched clips of it on YouTube. I haven't ever sat down to watch the full thing. So very pumped to have Bride of Boogity on there. Uh, and another fun but dumb one from my childhood, George of the Jungle, is, uh, oh, is also yeah. going to be added. And that's, you know, Brendan Fraser at the the height of his career. Uh, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely uh, good, good stuff. I know you mentioned a couple uh, a couple of the the Disney documentaries featuring animals. You mentioned Beaver Valley and Nature's Half Acre, correct? Mm-hmm. And I also. Mm-hmm. Yes. Be- yeah. And I also believe uh, looking at the list. Uh, that prowlers of the Everglades and waterbirds will be uh, part oh, of that too. Okay, I looked those up, Good. and uh, if they're the right ones, then they are in fact, uh, uh, you know, short length documentaries from the 1950s from Walt Disney. If they're the correct mm-hmm. ones going up, and not, not you know, just something that happens to be named the exact same thing, which is always possible. So we won't really know mm-hmm. until. Till it's out there, but uh, those those should also be added to the list there. And uh, I am excited, even though it was just on HBO and, and made its way off. Uh, Hello, Dolly is now going to be available. Yes, so I am really looking forward to that. Yeah, and uh, so, oh, John John Carter of Mars also. Yeah, I'll, I'll give that a rewatch at least once <laughs> when I'm really bored and have nothing to do in the background. And uh, I also saw that at the end of the month that uh, another classic film, Moon Spinners, that I believe we talked about, mm-hmm. you know, in, within the past calendar year on one of our treasures from the Disney Vault episodes. I believe that was one of them. So, yes, uh, it was. Yeah, just lots of good stuff. And I'm very intrigued about this uh, Bill Farmer series that is coming out. Uh, that's it's a dog's life as well too that yeah. has me intrigued yeah it does sound good i guess he really likes dogs <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, that's about my take on it too is he likes dogs so i guess it just comes down to is it going to be interesting enough to stick with it but i'm you know it's it seems like uh for his it seems like may is going to be a good month for disney plus just at the look of it I yeah i think so I don't know how quickly I'll get bored or run through stuff, uh, but it's it's definitely going to have my attention through through at least May, and then then after May it's going to have to compete with HBO Max once that launches, oh, and then okay. it's going to be uh, then it's going to add another interesting dimension to everything. So as mm-hmm. we're all relying on streaming right now to to be sane. <laughs> yeah, really, really. <laughs> So, but I have been, I've watched, um, I watched a lot on Disney plus in the last week or so. I mean, I've watched a lot of the live action stuff. Um, like I watched a lot, their live action Robin hood. I really enjoyed it. It is good. Yeah. And, and then, uh, I had never seen it before. So, or oh. it's been so long. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember it. Uh, I rewatched treasure Island cause that's one of my favorites. The Treasure of Matacumbe. Have you ever seen that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it's yeah. The I one thought you was, had. Uh, the ending was filmed on uh, 
at Walt Disney World on our um, whatchamacallit. Why can't I think of the name of it? Where the all the birds were, the island. Oh yeah, it was like um, Discovery Island or Thank something. You. What Thank was you. it? Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Because Carol and I on our honeymoon we went on that. It was still open to yeah. folks. I, I went yeah. on it at least once or twice when I was a kid, but it just completely slipped out. But yeah, the part of the ending of Treasure of Matacumbe was shot on there. So, oh, I, oh, I remember you'd mentioned that. Yeah, um, I watched Perry, which is a true life adventure. It's a true life fantasy. Mm-hmm. They call it. And it's it's really well done. But, you know, they, there's like a dream sequence in there. But, you know, you really see the circle of life in this one. Yeah. I mean, you know, but it's good. And I watched, of course, a couple of your favorites, Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros. And just love them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they're always a lot of fun. I put them on the background sometimes just to mm-hmm. just to listen. I love a lot of the music in those ones. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I watched a lot of um, shorts like. The Pluto, because I, I like the Pluto shorts. I know they're not your favorite. And then Humphrey the Bear, um, yep. they release a few of those. And then a Donald Duck and Chip and Dale shorts are some of my favorites yeah. from that era. So anyway. Now, have you heard the controversy of this? I, I'm saying this in quotes, the censorship of Splash on Disney Plus, oh, the film Splash. Yeah, I watched it because I wanted to see what the uh, what they were actually talking about with it, and it's is it okay? I have not watched it. It's going to go on my list, but it doesn't seem like a big deal to me from what I've heard. But do you want to uh, tell us what it is exactly? So there is a, a scene where she goes to go back into the ocean, mm-hmm. and uh, if. If we were watching it on DVD, Blu-ray, heck, it might even be television. I've never watched it on TV before to know. But there is a brief moment where you can see her her uh, bare bottom. And mm-hmm. Disney, for it to put Splash on Disney+, Plus, they have decided to basically do a terrible digital job where they added extra hair to the bottom of her hair to cover up the bare bottom. And it's you can it's one of those ones you can tell immediately. I think there can definitely be some lenience. See, on on this nature, I don't think it's something they necessarily need to to cover up Uh, in the longer one. Like, I know I watched Splash as a kid and it clearly didn't scar me for life. So Mm -hmm. I don't know why kids can't handle that now. And even beyond it, like. I watched Splash when I was a kid because, you know, that was it was still a big movie in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially with like VHS and, and stuff. I don't know necessarily if that's what kids are going to look for when they're on Disney Plus. Like, oh, can I watch this fun Tom Hanks romp with a mermaid? Uh, so I feel like I feel like the target audience who's watching Splash on Disney Plus is not going to care about it and you know i i can't even tell you the amount of movies that i had to watch with my parents when i was growing up where they would tell us like okay you got to close your eyes for a second or Mm. you know go out of the room or we're going to skip over this part real quick so it's there are ways around it besides digitally altering movies because you don't want to see a butt crack yeah 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 it it is like such a big deal to me what some people are are making it out to be i know because you know they edit films all the time for television or for airplanes or you know other venues um you know they they have to bleep out language 
when they're airing it on TV or they um, they uh, you know they dub over yeah and make it non-offensive words that are usually ridiculous and um, you know and stuff. So I don't know. That just seemed harmless to me. So I'm okay with it in certain circumstances. Editing stuff out, primarily just TV on a streaming service like Disney Plus. I'm not okay with it. It's don't mm-hmm. don't edit stuff out, especially when you know people are paying good money. And again, what I just said the the primary audience who is who is watching Splash is not going to be concerned with that. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good point. Or at the very least, you know, it's make it a thing where profile make it like uh, like Netflix and stuff where you can make profiles and set an age limit on it. If you don't want your kid seeing a butt crack and splash, then put splash in like a PG 13 and up and make your kids profile. They can see PG and down or, mm-hmm. you know, do, do something like yeah. that. There's other ways besides uh, editing movies needlessly. I, I understand yeah. for TV because there's, there's obviously rules that go into it, but editing something on a streaming service, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not as okay with that. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Anyway, well, we'll have to keep our eyes open to see if they do anything else like that. And then last week, we talked about the Walt Disney Family Museum Happily Ever After events. I did attend both the Bob Gurr and a David Gulse. Did I get his name right? You did, yep. Oh, wow, great. And um, the, did you attend either of these? Craig? I was signed up for the Dave Goltz, but then uh, work kept me from being able to actually log oh, okay. on to it. I got I had some issues uh, specifically with this show that kept me, uh, kept me editing longer mm-hmm. than I normally would have to. So uh, when, it, when I finally got done with, with everything, it's, I had missed the meeting so which is it's okay i mean it's i'm not i'm not gonna beat myself up about it (laughs) yeah well thank you for your perseverance i know there were some issues with the show and you spent a long time getting it out for everybody on time for on friday so thank you do my best but but how were they they were very good I, i think what i'm going to do is i'm going to i think we'll do an episode on these events when the next two are done which is this week and i know they're going to have more um and then maybe i'll just talk about them all the format is is that uh one of the hosts uh well, the hosts ask questions for the first 30 minutes, and then then um, it's uh, it's then questions that are submitted um, through Zoom or through email are then um, asked of the of the you know of Bob or Dave, mm-hmm. and then they answered them. And so it was good. It was interesting. With Bob Gurr, there really wasn't a whole lot I you know learned that was yeah. new. Um, you know, Dave Goldside missed his appearance at the museum, so this was all new to me. So, um, yeah, they were they were really really interesting. So I enjoyed it. It was, it was interesting to hear Dave Golds talk about, uh, you know, boy, you have to be a contortionist really to be a muppeteer. Oh yeah, <laughs> and all that. He talked about some of the things that he had to squeeze into, especially like from up at Treasure Island and. Um, and and uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's uh, they contortionists and then constantly have their arms up in the air <laughs> as far as they can stretch it so they can be below. So, uh, it, yeah, it's I it's one of those jobs that I envy them so much to be 
to be a puppeteer of a Muppet or a Sesame Street character or Fraggle Rock, because that was just announced that that was coming back on Apple Plus Fraggle Rock. Um, I to be a puppeteer in any of those would be like incredible. However, uh, you know, it's just knowing the physical pain they put themselves through to do mm-hmm. those jobs. I can, can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So in a few weeks, I'll, I'll talk about, you know, what, what I learned, what I was able to write down very quickly um, in the notes and all that. So I can share it with all of you. So yes. anyway, all righty. Well, a few weeks back, Craig, Mary Jo and I piled into Mary Jo's car for a trip around Southern California to connect with Walt. And you can experience the first three segments of our magical journey by listening to episodes 134, 135, and 143. You can also follow along using the map Mary Jo created that's in our show notes. We are continuing our car trip this week in Hollywood at Groman's Chinese Theater. Uh, Be sure to compare the size of your hands and feet with your favorite movie stars in the cement of the theater's courtyard. Craig, who who are you gonna look for? Oh, guys, uh, I haven't been there in a while. Is R two D two and C three PO still there? <laughs> oh, I'm sure they are. Okay, then them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll look for Trigger. <laughs> <laughs> and I know half of our audience is gonna have to Google Trigger. <laughs> See who that is. Um, you know, but but don't pose for your photo with any of the costume characters ambling up and down the boulevard because it will cost you. So so here we go. We're going to continue on our trek. Well, I want some popcorn. So I sometimes just go to the theater and see a film because I want popcorn. So let's go. Okay, I call it still Groman's Chinese Theater or Groman's. But but the grand opening and oh, and the Groman's Chinese Theater, of course, is at 6925 Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood. The grand opening of this theater was on May 18th, 1927. It was the most spectacular theater opening of motion picture history. Thousands of people lined Hollywood Boulevard and a riot broke out as fans tried to catch a glimpse of the movie stars and other celebrities. They arrived for the opening. The film being premiered that night, Cecil B. DeMille's The King of Kings, and uh, and the wor- there's a Wurlitzer organ and a 65-piece orchestra provided music. And the theater opened to the public the following day, May 19th, 1927. This is a gorgeous building. Authorization had to be obtained from the U.S. government to import temple bells, pagodas, stone heaven dogs, and other artifacts from China. Poet and director Moon Quan came from China, and under his supervision, Chinese artisans created many of the statuary work in the work area, or many much of the statuary in the work area that eventually became the forecourt of the stars. And most of those pieces still decorate the inc- beautiful interior of the theater today. Who are uh, the original? Who are the other original um, owners that he was partners with? Do you know? I don't think I wrote that down. Mary Pickford. Oh, Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks Jr. I do have that. And Howard Schenk. Yeah. Yeah. But Mary, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they, so they spared no expense when they built this Mm -hmm. theater. And of course, being such an iconic landmark, it's one of the central buildings in, in Hollywood studios, right? 
Mm-hmm. So the great movie ride used to be in there. <laughs> At Disney Hollywood Studios. Now it's Mickey's Runaway Railroad. Yeah, now it's Mickey's Runaway Railroad. But here's a cool fact about the one. Okay, so at Walt Disney World at Hollywood Studios, the Chinese theater they have there is an exact replica of the one on Hollywood Boulevard. And it, it, being that it is an exact replica, when they renovated the one in Hollywood Boulevard, they asked for the blueprints from Disney so because they had updated codes and everything, that they asked Disney for their blueprint so they could update the one in Hollywood Boulevard. Mm-hmm. So oh, I thought wow. that was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's 40-foot-high curved walls and copper-top turrets. Um, and the, the theater's legendary forecourt has the um, famous footprints the, of Hollywood stars. And there's 10-foot-tall lotus-shaped fountains and, and intricate artistry all around in this forecourt. The theater rises 90 feet high. And there's two gigantic coral red columns topped by wrought iron masks holding aloft the bronze roof. And between the columns is a 30-foot-high dragon carved from stone. And guarding the theater's entrance are the two original heaven dogs brought from China. That's amazing. That is. It's it's an amazing, beautiful theater. Um, More than um, 4 million visitors visit the Chinese theater every year. And it's constantly, there's constantly a, a restoration program in process. They've had some uh, groundbreaking things at, at that theater. And back in <clears throat> 1975, my family went and we saw this new movie that came out. And it had the latest tech, uh, what do you call it, state-of-the-art um, new technology called surround sound. Mm-hmm. And we saw Earthquake there. Oh, funny. <laughs> so, you know, so the sheet, this, the seats kind of, you know, the, the reverberation kind of made it feel like it shook and everything. And today mm-hmm. it may not mean anything, but it was a big thing back I re- in 1975. I remember that. I remember that. Now, the, now, Grumman's Chinese Theater is the most sought-after theater in Hollywood for studio, studio premieres. And why is it on our list besides, you know, this is a cultural landmark? Um, one of Walt Disney's biggest movie premieres was here. Mary Poppins on August 27, 1964. And the premiere was even broadcast live on television and radio in Los Angeles so the fans at home could be a part of the magic. That's wonderful. Yeah. So I, I'm just thinking, I mean, you know, for those of us who saw Saving Mr. Banks, because when the Mary Poppins, I was just a tot back in those days, so I didn't, I wouldn't remember the premiere, but um, they replicated it in Saving Mr. Banks. And mm-hmm. and you yeah. can see Mickey Mouse there um, every day. Of course, it's not the real Mickey Mouse. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You, there, there's all the creepy costume characters. Stay away from them. They charge you for everything. Well, anyway, across the street is uh, Disney's theater, the El Capitan Theater. And it was um, the third of four major theaters constructed by a prominent real estate developer named C.E. Toberman. He's known as the father of Hollywood. This is a beautiful building. It's a six-story building. It was designed in an elaborate Spanish Baroque style by by the firm of Morgan, Walls, and Clements. And there's retail space and office space in the upper floors. And then... um, 
theater architect Chi Albert Landsberg, who's very noted at the time, designed the elaborate interior. And the ground floor facade features these intricately framed windows. The elaborate outer lobby of the theater is decorated and painted with Baroque detailing. The, there's a, a unique second floor retail display windows that are framed in ornamental cast irons so that they could be easily viewed from across the street. So, um, the El Capitan opened in 1926 as a playhouse. It was one of the premier dramatic stages in the area. Um, in the 20s and 30s, hosted over 120 plays. The 1,550-seat theater didn't screen its first film until 1941, and it hosted the world premiere of Citizen Kane. So... And then in the following year, the venue was converted to a first-run uh, movie theater. And it changed its name to the Paramount and went um, through major modeling, and it was a streamlined, modern look. But they, but they basically didn't, they didn't destroy the 1926 decor. They just used a lot of drapes and to hide it. So um, the Paramount, they covered it, yeah. Yeah, so luckily. Uh, so the Paramount continued as a first-run theater before it closed in 1988. And so most of the El Capitan's original features are still intact. And in 1989, um, you know, Walt Disney and uh, and Pacific Theaters, um, at the urging of Hollywood preservationists, spent two years extensively rehabilitating the building and they and they included the return of its original name yeah. they started to they what, what they started to do is when they got it they started to like just to, to tear tear out the because uh, they were going to redo the whole thing and when they pulled up um i don't know what part of the the framework they saw the original um architecture underneath and they realized what a treasure they had and they decided then that instead of of putting something new, that they were going to restore it to the original. And I really commend them for that. Yeah, because that they have a I, – I don't know if it's still there. On the second floor, they used to have a display. Because whenever they run a film, usually on the second floor, there's a display of some sort about the making of the film. They used to also have a display there about how they restored the theater. So I don't know if that's still there. I usually go downstairs because we've been to a few, a few um, movies there, mm-hmm. and when we have gone there, one of the it's like we saw the premiere of The Lion King there, and we saw the premiere of Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast was after Aladdin, right? Mm-hmm. What one of the things that they do there is before the premieres, they have a live show before the premieres, and they have a is that a Wurlitzer that organ? Yeah, that was um, a Wurlitzer organ. It used to be in the San Francisco Fox Theater, and that got demolished to build a department store and a parking lot and office buildings. Yeah, that one's below the stage. And what they do is before a movie, they'll raise it up, and they'll have an organist play music live for you while you're waiting for the movie, which is uh, it's such a treat. And like I said, the live shows that they have, balconies because this is an old style theater so if you anybody who who can think of like back in the 40s how the theaters used to be you have a balcony section you have the lower i'll call it the orchestra section where 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 the majority of the people sit 
the balcony section where you're sitting up up above, and then the two um, curved balconies on the side, you have that section also over, overlooking because it used to be live a live stage show, right? Way, mm -hmm. way when it first opened. Mm -hmm. So while you're there, you're seeing all of um, the live action show before the movie itself. And then they have that. Then they have that. Um, the show that's on the curtain, the screen, that they do as well. The theaters used to do back in the day, but it's all it's all with special effects and all that. It's really amazing. It it, it really is. We've seen a couple of times. Well, actually, we went to to three times. Nightmare Before Christmas sing along. Obviously, mm -hmm. it was one of my daughter's favorite movies at the time. And one time, Don Hahn was there. One time, don't shoot me, guys. Who's the musician? Who's the musician? Danny Alfin oh, okay. was there one time, and the 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 one who sings Oogie Boogie, he was there one time. Oh, live. he's a great voice. Oh my gosh, the the, the I'm sorry, I don't remember your name, but it, it was just incredible that they had this, and it was in 4D, so. They gave us one. They one time they gave us little uh, jingle bells. So during the movie, we would actually. I almost felt like I was in a Rocky Horror Picture film show because <laughs> we were, you know, we weren't throwing rice or anything like bread or anything like that. But, but we were we were participating in the movie, singing along with the movie, and snow was falling at appropriate parts and everything. It was such a fun experience. Yeah, I've been to a few shows there. Oh my gosh, it's great! Like I always told Carol when, when I said if they ever show Sleeping Beauty, we are making a special trip down there. And sure enough, they did. And we took my aunts and we took my cousin and all that. We had a wonderful time. And they had the special show beforehand, and they shot confetti out of confetti cannons. I mean, they did all kinds of stuff. And of course, Sleeping Beauty was there, and um, it was. It, it's you don't just go there to see a film. This is an experience. Oh my gosh, it's like a it's a it's a one of a kind experience. And so I we I would go back, you know, when um, before home theaters got to be the way they are now. You know, they 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 frequently release their classic films for a limited run. There in between their first run films. So, you know, I've seen Snow White there. I've seen Pinocchio there. Um, I went to a D23 event when um, the Winnie the Pooh film, the last of the hand-drawn animation. So they had a whole panel of animators and artists and all that there. And to talk about the making of it before the film. And I, I mean, it was, it's great. So I don't know, Craig, have you ever been to a film there? Yeah, I, I've been once, and uh, it's. I agree with everything both of y'all said about it. Uh, you know, it's. It, I will just warn people who are used to going to like the latest and greatest theaters <laughs> out there. Uh, it's. It it the technology definitely. It could still use an upgrade, even as it's gone mm -hmm. through yeah. many upgrades. The seats are are very classic vintage theater seats, like you would expect yeah. in a in a classic theater in anywhere. And so they're not the most comfortable, uh, you know, they, they could stand to use a little cushion yeah. here and there, but it's, you kind of have to embrace all of, all of those little charms. But yeah, you, I wouldn't, I, I would definitely 
I would go out of my way to see a movie there, but you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hit the next Marvel movie there as your first time seeing it. You know, go go see that mm-hmm. in the the theaters that will melt your face with with sound and <laughs> and you know the 4K IMAX and everything great about that. But if you want a more intimate movie experience then the l cap is perfect for that yeah like i said it is so good for scenic classic films because i went to the sleeping beauty one because they had it in cinemascope um there which you don't see anymore and so that was great yeah. but um but anyway but and then after the film go next door to the ghirardelli ice cream shop <laughs> and the disney Boo. store <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, um, I and, just want to say that if you do see a live action movie there, like you were saying, Michael, it's, it's it's now it's downstairs. They'll have costumes and and um, props from the movie that you can go down and see there in the same theater. Yeah, and they do have something upstairs, so maybe that's where the restoration of the um, film of the theater is at is upstairs so and the la conservancy they have an easement protecting the facade of the el capitan so they worked i think very well with the disney company on incorporating modern features like the marquee you know it it fits very well into the historic exterior of that building so um, and then i i talked over but you you were saying the the yummy ghirardelli uh ice cream shop Sunday shop is next door. Right. They also they also sell chocolates there. Mm-hmm. They do. So anyway, and then um well, since we're we're seeing films at the El Capitan, we can go to a couple of homes of people who were instrumental in creating the films, Richard and Robert Sherman's homes. So first on our list is the home of Robert and Joyce Sherman. This is called Casa Poppins. Um, They lived there from 1960 to 1969 with their three children. These are the years that the Sherman brothers wrote so many songs for Walt Disney, including the scores for Mary Poppins, The Jungle Book, and the Winnie the Pooh series. And then there's a little line from Mary Poppins that relates to this house that you're telling me about, Mary Jo. Yeah, so I was really lucky because Robert Sherman, um, he, he then later lived in England, and his son, named after him, we, he goes by Bobby, he, had a, he gave us a tour. So we were able to and the tour was about the Sherman brothers when they first came to Los Angeles, growing up in Los Angeles, their schools they, they went to, et cetera, and their homes. And one of the treats that we got is we, we got to go inside the house. So inside the house is where um, Bobby's brother had taken a polio vaccine. And when his dad asked him, did it hurt? He said, no, because they gave it to us in the Cuba Sugar. And that's where he got the idea for Spoonful of Sugar. So not only do we have that inspiration that that was the house that that happened in, the address of the house is 601. And if in Mary Poppins, in the song where um, Tomlin, what's his first name? The dad. Um, oh, I I can see his face. But yeah, Mr. Banks, Dave Tomlin. David Tomlinson. Dave Tomlin. Thank you. Tomlinson, yeah. So he has a song called Life for Me and and where he walks into the house and he's like dun, 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 dun. Well he says 
at 601, I walk through the door. So he sang the address of the house in the song in Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was such a cool tie-in that that of the inspiration for the song that he included parts of his life, uh, Robert Sherman, in the lyrics to the music that was in Mary Poppins. So I thought that was neat. Yeah, and this is at 601 North Oakhurst Drive in Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah, I, I made the mistake of... of um, I had my kids and a guest from Spain in my car and we were driving around Beverly Hills and I wanted to show them this house and I didn't have my map with me or on my smartphone. So I went up and down every street in that area looking for 601 until I saw the house itself. And my kids were like, mom, I can't believe you're doing this. And our Spanish guest was laughing so hard in that, um, during that whole thing, but we found it. And now I've got a map where I don't have to go look for it again. To, and the, to see it. <laughs> and the other half of the Sherman brothers, Richard and Ursula Sherman, they lived at 712 North Hillcrest Road in Beverly Hills. Yeah, he still lives there. So I would say if you drive past there, you know that he lives there. And it's relatively modest when you think about, you know, stars and the types of homes that they have. It's still a nice, nice size. It's kind of close to the Beverly Hills Hotel. And and you can see his house right there. What's the address again, please? Oh, it is um, 712 North Hillcrest Road in Beverly Hills. And it was built, the house was built in 1937. So that might be also, I think the total living area is 6,468 square feet. So anyway, so, so not, not yeah, big, but, you know, not like the McMansions that people love to build today. Yeah, and so, the neighborhoods are really beautiful, so it's nice, you know, driving by and seeing it. Well, you know, now we're we're going to go to another home. Well, or the location of another home. Anyway, and this is Walt's home at Carrollwood Drive in Holmby Hills, 355 North Carrollwood Drive. Uh, with Walt Disney's daughters becoming teenagers, Walt and Lillian decided they needed more room and choked that this new home was their 25th anniversary present to themselves. So they officially moved there in February 1950. And this was this was home to many other celebrities at the time. And their dream home took well over a year to complete. So many celebrities lived in the Holmby Hills area over the years. Frank Sinatra lived here, Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson... Um, the Disney home was on a knoll between Beverly Hills and Bel Air with a view of UCLA. So the original home was designed by John Delina. He was an architect, and it was a two-story split level, and the main house is 5,669 square feet. The home flared out into two wings on either side, sometimes described as a horseshoe type of configuration. It had 17 rooms, but... It wasn't palatial, not when you compare it to homes of other studio moguls and even other people that live in that neighborhood. Um, Walt had assisted with the design so that the rooms would be easier to clean and would be practical for his growing family. So in addition, Walt built a large swimming pool for his daughters. Beyond the pool was a two-story building with a room housing motion picture projection equipment. Below the room was a four-car garage and a service area. And the main reason 
Walt wanted this particular lot was because he was determined to put his miniature railroad, railroad the Carrollwood Pacific, um, there with all the land that he had. And Walt was so into this <laughs> that he said, he told an interviewer, I got the power company and paid them a good price to remove or build a new power line behind me so that the sight of electrical lines would not intrude on the railroad experience. So, um, so landscaping for the estate and the railroad was done by Jack Evans and his younger brother, Bill, who's, and Walt was so pleased with their work, he hired them to landscape Disneyland. Of course, they became the official landscapers of Disney and went on to do the landscaping for many parks. Um, Walt and Lillian continued to live in the house until their respective deaths. Unfortunately, the Holmby Hills home, complete with a train, has since been torn down and is now home to the Carrollwood Estate. Um, Gabriel Brenner, okay, you wonder, this is who we can blame. He was the chief executive of a private investment firm, Brenner International Group, and a co-owner of the Houston Dynamo soccer team. He purchased the property from the Disney Estate for $8.45 million in 19... 19- 98, a year after Lillian Disney's death. He raised the original house, and his official story to the media was that there was structural damage and asbestos, so the house could not be saved. And then he built a brand new 35,000 square foot mansion in 2001. Um, He also acquired the lot next door. So he added more acreage. Um, At the time, he kept the original gate some of Lillian's Rose Garden in the tunnel for Walt's miniature California Pacific Railroad, which had been buried and decorated with landscaping. Um, The entrance was marked by an ivy-colored miniature stone archway with the date 1950, which was when the railroad officially began operating. And then very quietly, the Carrollwood Estate came to market on October 2012 with an asking price of $90 million, and it eventually sold for $70 million in June 2014. So I guess the best we can do is drive by the gate. <laughs> so anyway, but it's there. It, it, it is there, and if anybody wants to, you know, do a little sightseeing in Beverly Hills and Holmby Hills and that area, then this is a good stop. Yeah. So, but the Walking Way House is the main residence that still exists for Walt Disney's family. The Carrollwood Express train to Lilybell, you can now see at the Walt Disney Family Museum. And of course, Walt's barn is at Griffith Park that had once sat on this property. We're going to park here on Carrollwood Drive so I can convince Craig to boost me over the fence so I can look for any remnants of Walt's Carrollwood Pacific Railroad. Assuming I'm not arrested for trespassing, we'll continue (laughs) the final leg of our tour next week, beginning at the Bel Air Restaurant, I'm sure for a very nice meal. Until then, Mary Jo and Craig are going to test their knowledge about what happened this week in Disney history. All right, well, here we are for the week of April 26th. Mary Jo is back, 
And I know she's raring to go, trying to reclaim her crown. Although, she, you know, she's won two rounds and Craig has won one. So, so Mary Jo, are you all set? I am. I, I think maybe last week I was a little cocky, maybe, you uh-huh. know, basking and, and, and winning. And uh, oh, okay. Craig thoroughly trounced me. <laughs> so I'm hoping to te- at least uh, make a respectable uh, present presentation this time, you know. Represent myself better this time. I'm sh- oh, I'm sure you will. So now <laughs> for this week, in order to have eight questions, so it's even, uh, there will be a general question at the end. So it might be history, it might be trivia, but that'll be the eighth question and all that. So uh, just to run through the rules again for, for any new listeners, if you choose not to hear the multiple choice options, you will receive three points for a correct answer. If you choose to hear the multiple choice options, you will receive two points for a correct answer. If you ask me to remove an incorrect option, you will receive one point for a correct answer. If you correctly answer the question after your opponent answers the question incorrectly, you will receive one point. Some questions may have opportunities to earn bonus points, and you can earn one point for each bonus question correctly answered. In the event of a tie, there will be a tiebreaker question, and you may find having a pencil and paper nearby helpful for the tiebreaker question. Okay, so is everybody ready? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. All right, Mary Jo, again, since you are our guest, you get to decide whether you would like to receive the first question or hand it off to Craig. I think I'll be brave, and I'm going to take the first question, Michael. Okay. All right. Well, this is for the week or the day of April 26th. Walt Disney first used the cast of one of his popular television series for a string of live performances at Disneyland on April 26th, 1958. What television series did Walt promote at his park? Well, I think I have a good idea, but I'm going to take multiple choice. Okay. Was it A, the Mickey Mouse Club, B, Davy Crockett, C, Zorro, or D, Spin and Marty? You know, I was my first thought was the Mickey Mouse Club, so I'm just going to go ahead and say them. Okay. And that's your final answer? Yes. Okay. That is incorrect, but it's a very good no, guess. No, you're kidding. How could that no. be incorrect? I know, because he used the Mouseketeers all the time. Dang the it. Even even at the opening day when nobody knew who they were because they hadn't been on television yet. And then they had the infamous, you know, Mickey Mouse Club Circus. Right. That's what, I, that's what I was thinking. And, <laughs> so, all right. So I have an yeah, idea who yeah, it is, but, but no, I'm not this have to one. listen to Craig. Yeah. Okay, Craig. <sighs> so there were a string of live performances of Disneyland. The first time Walt ever did this on April 26, 1958. So was it was the series the cast from Davy Crockett, Zorro, or Spin and Marty? Yeah, the tough part is I'm not sure if Spin and Marty was ever used. So, um, whereas I think that Zorro and Davy Crockett definitely both were in there, but I'm st- I'm gonna go Zorro. Okay, final answer. Yeah, you are correct. It was Zorro. Seriously. 
Yeah. And Zorro Days will continue into the next day. The cast, including Guy Williams, um, appeared in parades each day and performed in Frontierland for four shows daily. So, okay, there is a bonus question. How often did run or how many times did Walt run Zorro Days at Disneyland in 1958? Pick a number between one and five. (laughs) If those are my choices, then I think I'm going to go with two so well he, he this 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 april 26th 27th counts as one. Oh, so gotcha he had zorro days you know like star wars days that runs on multiple weekends yeah this is the same idea well i already said two so to be fair i'll just keep my answer as two and and stick with that okay it was actually three times um, April 26th and 27th, as we already mentioned, but then there were two more major Zorro appearances at Disneyland in 1958, May 30th through June 1st, and November 27th through the 30th. So, um, so, and this was like a precursor to, you know, the Star Wars weekends and all that. So, you know, but, you know, goes back to Walt. So. Okay. All right, Craig, for you, April 27th. What major Disneyland attraction closed on April 27th, 2001? I will go ahead and take multiple choice. Okay. Was it A, Submarine Voyage, B, Rocket Rods, C, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, or D, the original Disneyland parking lot? Hmm. Well... I know how much you love bringing in anything that has to deal with rocket rods. So I'm going to go ahead and just make a wild guess and say rocket rods. Very good. You're right. It was B, Disneyland's rocket rods. So, um, you know, and that ride was supposed to be, you know, like the big star of Tomorrowland. Oh, yeah. You know, in that 100 million facelift in 1998, it closed forever. Although... It had been closed since September 2000 for a refurbishment that was supposed to last until spring 2001, but no work was actually ever done on the attraction. And uh, despite efforts by the designers and mechanics, Rocket Rods was just plagued with problems, and they they just gave up on it. So, And Mary Jo, did you ride it? Oh, yeah. My kids... At nighttime, my kids loved it because at the they were at the age where they couldn't drive, and at nighttime they would ride with their hands up the whole time, and and it would you know how it would go it would go fast on the on the straightways, and then it would slow down and bank slow the curves down. and go fast again, and and uh, Nick and Kelly were probably like ten and eleven at the no they were older than that they were like eleven and twelve at the time, but they they really liked the ride. Um, in retrospect, I think it was a huge mistake to close down the people mover. Of course, I'm going to think that. And and how we used to go inside the attractions and everything. When when you think about, um, we didn't gain anything. We ended up losing everything when they put rocket rods in. But no, they yeah. liked it. They liked it. Did you ever go on it? No. When we were there, and my, my children were young as well, we were there... Um, 
the week before it opened and they were testing it and I thought this is so noisy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, it was right. like think of the think of the loudest lawnmower you've ever heard and then multiply it by twenty. I mean, oh my goodness. And I thought this is horrible because you know I, we were, you know, because the kids were into star tours and all that. And I'm standing under that, you know, the 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 track, thinking, dear lord. And then every time we came back, it was closed for refurbishment. Oh, so See, we never got the ride. The- this is one of maybe three or four rides I I never have been on in all of Disneyland's history. That was one of the ones where, so so we had an annual pass, and when it first opened, we actually went to Disneyland just to go on that attraction, and I think we stood in line for four hours. Yeah, back, you used to do that day, a lot. We, yeah, we did that. We did that for Indiana Jones. We did that for Rocket Rods. But my kids were, they were very patient. We would go, we would just make friends with the people around us and and uh, just wait and, and do it. But I, re- I remember, I think that's probably the only thing we did was going rocket rods and probably ate at Plaza Inn mm-hmm. and watch the fireworks, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well. All right. Well, Mary Jo, <laughs> yeah, too bad. Uh, yeah. Tomorrowland's just an eyesore. Yeah. But anyway. Okay. April 28th. I think, Mary Jo, this is yours now. Craig, you have three points. So, Mary Jo, you could get three points if you just guess this right off the bat. Okay, what attraction opened at Hong Kong Disneyland on April 28th, 2008? It is the fifth version of this attraction to open at a Disney theme park. So this is a tent pole attraction. It's a what? Tent pole attraction in the sense that, you know, it's one that they build in most of the parks. Got it. Okay, I am going to need multiple choice. Okay, was it A, It's a Small World, B, Pirates of the Caribbean, C, Star Tours, or D, Mystic Manor, which some people consider it to be this park's version of a haunted mansion? Okay, so I'm... I'm going to go with It's a Small World. Okay, final answer? Yep. You are correct. The Hong Kong's version, um, well, yeah, it's, it's a small world. So you are absolutely right. And when they built it, they made it the, um, the pastel colors that Disneyland also had for a while mm-hmm. on, the, on, the, on the facade and all that. So it's very pretty. Now, there is a bonus question. Is Hong Kong's version based on Disneyland's? It's a small world or the Magic Kingdoms? Oh, I think it's um, based on Disneyland's version. Okay, you are correct. The Hong Kong Disneyland version of the attraction is mostly modeled after the original Disneyland attraction. It uses a canal for the boats to travel through instead of the open-ended water track found in the Magic Kingdom, Tokyo, and Paris versions. This, the attraction at this time is the largest indoor attraction at Hong Kong Disneyland. Wow. So Mary Jo, you are tied with Craig. Yeah. Three to three. So very good. I'll, I'll enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Craig, we're over to you now for April 29th. 
Walt Disney dedicated the Sleeping Beauty Castle walkthrough at Disneyland on April 29th, 1957. Who joined him in the dedication ceremony? Uh, I'll take multiple choice. Okay, was it A, Mary Costa, the voice of Sleeping Beauty in the film? B, Eleanor Audley, the voice of Maleficent? C, Verna Felton, Barbara Luddy, and Barbara Jo Allen, the voices of the good fairies? Or D, Shirley Temple, who had presented Walt with an honorary Academy Award, won big Oscar and seven little ones for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in 1939? That's a tough one. What was the second choice again? I know you said Mary Costa and the three fairies. And Eleanor Audley, the voice of Maleficent, was B, the second choice. I think there's one that doesn't fit in with the rest of them there. And however, in my opinion, that's also the one that you want her face out there, even though she was getting older. That's it's still a face that people know. So I'm going to say Shirley Temple. Okay, you are correct. And no one could figure out why. (laughs) But yeah, it was Shirley Temple was there with Snow with um, with Walt, and she had a crown and a cape and flowers and all that. And also, Miss Temple's oldest daughter Linda, son Charles, and youngest daughter Lori um, were in attendance for this dedication. So very good. So you have five points there. And still, <clears throat> just so bizarre. I know. Can't figure it out. I, I don't know why. That's one that I think that they would. Put, have more pictures of right mm-hmm. that but that's not one that, that when they when they hearken back to even when they had the anniversary of um like the drawbridge coming down or and other things you would think that those pictures would pop up so i'm surprised yeah there's only a few and it's when they're standing you know at the door the entrance to the walkthrough and all that you see her but um it wasn't like a big to-do you know, the walkthrough for them. But I love the walkthrough. Yeah. So, Okay, so let's see. Mary Jo, it's to you, April 30th. On April 30th, 1952, this toy becomes the first to be introduced to the public through television advertising. Years later, it would enjoy a boost in popularity thanks to the Walt Disney Company and Pixar Studios. What is the name of the toy? Um, multiple choice. Oh, I'll take multiple choice. Okay. Was it A, Mr. Potato Head, B, Etch-A-Sketch, C, Little Green Army Men, or D, Slinky? I'm going to go with the slinky. Okay. Final answer. That's my final answer. Okay. That is incorrect, but a very good guess. I I just remember. I love slinkies. Oh my gosh. Well, the metal ones, the original ones, they were great. Yeah. The the plastic ones are terrible. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Craig, over to you. April 30th, 1952. This toy advertised to the public. For the first time through television. Oh then my gosh. It got another boost in popularity. So, Craig, is this Mr. Potato Head? 
Etch-A-Sketch or Little Green Army Men? See, this is tough because, like, all of these things were popular when I was growing up. And, I mean, before Toy Story came out, I don't really have a good context for it. I'll say Army Men. Okay, that is incorrect. It's Mr. Potato Head. I'm just now remembering the bin with all the different components that you could buy and how you could... We used to we used to talk on the boards about how you could fit in the pieces just to you know to get as many as you could in the boxes for the accessories to Mister Mister Potato Head. Completely forgot mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, yeah. In its first year, fifty-two one million kits will be sold, um, and I had one of these. And what you did was, and this was you know in the late fifties, early sixties, you used your own potato. You know, I remember the, that. Yep, and and then the eyes and the nose and the ears and everything—they had nails in them, and you poke them into the potato. And um, so, you know, <laughs> well, you could you could still mash it up, but I mean, can you imagine that kind of toy out now? With nails you know, in it? Oh my gosh! Yeah, with no. nails. Now somehow we survived it. I have no idea if kids poked their eyes out or swallowed them, but that's what they were. And then they went a little nuts. Then they had a Mr. Bell Pepper. They had a Mr. Carrot. That one was sort of lame. Um, they had a Mrs. Potato Head and, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. But it was all that. It was all with little nails. Okay. So I think now for May 1st, we're over to Craig, correct? Yep. Okay. Okay. On May 1st, 1947... Walt Disney Productions granted this educational institution the rights to use Donald Duck as its official mascot and insignia. What is the name of this educational institution? Mm, That's an easy one. The uh, University of Oregon. That is correct. University of Oregon. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm laughing where Craig said that's an easy one. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Following Walt Disney's death in 1966, it was discovered that a formal contract did not exist to allow the school the rights to Donald's image. But in 1973, a written contract was signed between Oregon's athletic department and Walt Disney Productions, allowing the continued use of Donald. And when Donald turned 50 in 1984, he was named an honorary alumnus of the university. Hmm. Yeah. So, Craig, that brings you up to eight. Mary Jo, you have three, but you still have plenty of time. There's still a couple more questions. Okay, May 2nd, what Walt Disney exhibit made its New York debut at the 1964 New York World's Fair on May 2nd, 1964? This is easy. You have your choice of four. Yes, you do. What Walt Disney? Exhibit. Debuted at the New York World's Fair on May 2nd, 1964. So so, so for Walt Disney, not for a, a sponsored... Is that what you're... Go ahead and give me a they were all they were all They were all sponsored, but they were created by the Walt Disney Studio. So. Oh, so, so name any of them? Well, one opened on May 2nd, 1964. Oh, got it. The, got others, it. An, the others opened on a different date. And as long as you know all of them, you don't have to ask for multiple choice. The only way you would need it is if you want to take away one of them. 
Right. I'll I'll say um, it's a small world. Um, no, that's incorrect. Okay. So, Craig, over to you. I'm going to go with the Ford Magic Skyway. That is incorrect. Lincoln. It was it was great. It was. It was great. It was great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Craig and I would just start naming all of them. Just yeah. Yeah. No, it was great moments with Mr. Lincoln presented ah. by the state of Illinois. It finally made its New York debut after weeks of technical problems. The fair had, had already opened. And so Lincoln was the fourth um, World's Fair exhibit Got of Waltz. Okay. So, Okay. All righty. So, Craig, over to you. This is the general question, then the final one. And this is just, there's no multiple choice. You just have to give the answer. Who was the, who was the only main character in a Disney film who didn't speak throughout the entire film? Mm, this, this could be a lot. Um, are we talking animated or live action? Animated. This is animated. The continued okay. prayers of all wishes. Um, I've received members. I've received Main messages from members of our Connected Walt family telling me how they listen to our. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. I'm. I believe I know the answer to this because one of my favorite movies would fall into this category. Who's an artist is creating an oil painting of me, Mickey Mouse, and Walt Disney. Sort of like this Uh, one of the starring roles. Well, see, that's hard because initially the first one I thought of is, you know, one of one of my favorite Disney characters, Dumbo. But then I also Dopey never spoke, and I mean Tinkerbell technically never spoke too. She just jingled. This is the main character, so you have to ask yourself: Tinkerbell, Dumbo, um, Dopey. Well, of all those. (laughs) Yeah, of all those, I would go with the one who had the movie named after them. <laughs> so. Okay, final final answer? Yeah, I'll go with Dumbo then. Th- that is correct. It is Dumbo. Okay, so you get three points for that, so that's okay. 11. So, okay, 11 to um, 3. So, Craig, you won again. I, I have to say that even though mm-hmm. I lost, this was such a fun trivia game. I learned... Some and you have some really good questions, Michael. Oh, thank this, you. This was very entertaining. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So it is fun. This is fun. I learned a you lot from it too. <laughs> Mary Jo, you don't get an extra point for kissing us. <laughs> <laughs> <Just, shh>, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, since it's two to two, Mary Jo, you have to come back next week, not only to finish our our car trip but to see we have to see who comes out on top yep oh my gosh this is a good tournament okay good good well um i will see you then next week well as we take you on this virtual tour of sites in southern california that are important in the life of walt disney we know that Most of us are looking forward to the time when life starts getting back to normal, and we can go out and about and take this drive we've been talking about and visit places like Disney theme parks. Until then, we hope you are all safe and healthy. 
Um, I appreciate the continued prayers and well wishes. Um, I've received members, I've received messages from members of our Connecting Swap family telling me how they listen to our stories, like when they're driving, um, running, decorating their home, um, doing chores, uh, creating art. Craig, have you seen one of our listeners, Dean, who's an artist, is creating an oil painting of me, Mickey Mouse, and Walt Disney? I, yeah, I saw you post about that. Uh, yeah, very, yeah. very cool. Isn't that? I mean, that's amazing and so generous. And I mean, I'm so humbled by that. And and I, I've been going around the house thinking, okay, where am I going to hang this? Because yeah. it has to go up on the wall. And anyway, he's showing his creative process on his YouTube channel, which is absolutely fascinating since I have no idea how, how to do anything <laughs> like that. And, and so we are so grateful and happy that our stories and the other shows on the Diz Unplugged Podcast Network and Craig's videos that I, I watch all the time are helping to make your time sheltering in place more enjoyable. So we want to thank you. And we look forward to the time when we can say that in person. Yep. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, as always, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. Michael, what about you? Well, you can send me messages at michaelwdwinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. And I know, I know folks go to my personal page, but then also check out the one with the Connecting with Walt banner. Um, Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling that is. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at connecting walt if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of walt disney his studios his imagineers and disneyland check out our disneyland podcast archives for my disney history episodes craig always posts a list of them in our show notes and also you can find them at disunplug.com and look for past episodes of connecting with walt on itunes spotify stitcher and google play where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Mm-hmm.